Over the past few years, I have asked you guys to give me a rating and review. And if you've done that, thank you so, so much. I really appreciate it. It's so helpful. But if you haven't, I get it. I kind of get it. Like, I'm asking you to go and click on this thing and then like, how do I do it? And then I have to come up with some kind of a review and I don't know what to say and I'll do it later, right? I, I get it. I've, I've kind of been there before. I, I know exactly how you feel. And so I'm not asking you to do that now, okay? What I'm asking you to do now is so easy. Anybody can do it and it literally takes like one second. Go into whatever you're listening to, whether it's Apple Podcast or Spotify or whatever platform you're listening on, they all have it, and just click on the subscribe button. Just subscribe. It takes one second. You don't have to be creative. You don't have to come up with a review and write it all out and you know be self-conscious about it. Just hit that subscribe button. That would be so, so, so impactful for me. And if you're enjoying this and getting a lot out of it, that would mean the world to me. It really would. And it's so easy. Anyone can do it. Like, let's literally stop listening right now. Stop listening. Go and do it. That's how much it means to me. Nobody ever asks you to leave their show and stop listening for anything. But I'm asking you to stop listening right now. Go and just quickly subscribe. Come right back and take a listen. That would mean the world to me. I would really appreciate it. You guys are awesome. And I really appreciate it. Thanks. There were properties that I had as rentals that I wish I would have sold a little sooner because they were sort of just clunkers. And, you know, for whatever reason, they were just clunkers, bad luck. Some of them, it just seemed like they were cursed. So I probably should have sold them, but I hold, I held on to them. Now, luckily, I bought most of my rentals back in like 2015, 2016. And so they were clunkers, but I sold them in 2020 or 2021 and house prices soared. And so I made money on all of them. So it was fine, right? I got rid of them at kind of the top of the market. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. All right. Thank you for joining me on Just Our Real Estate. I appreciate you being here. I have another great live replay for you. We had a great conversation, tons of live interaction. Lots of fun, you guys. If you're not there on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, you are missing out. You can ask me direct questions. I will answer them. It's totally free, obviously. It's on Facebook. It's on LinkedIn. It's on YouTube. Um, you can find me on Twitter. You can, wherever you, you know, whatever social media you prefer, you can find me there on uh, Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern time and ask me your questions. I had a great one. This was a lot of fun. I had folks asking me everything from multifamily financing to what prevents people from actually taking action even when the path is laid out for them. Um, how to analyze markets when it shifts. Uh, how do I know what to do in my market when the market's shifting? Uh, we talked about hiring acquisition specialists and what that profile looks like and how to know when just to do it. So uh, just tons of fun. It was a great, great, great time and, and a lot of good questions. So I know you guys are going to get a lot out of this one. I'm positive. And uh and I suggest that you go there and participate live because we have tons and tons of great interaction and, and you can get your questions answered. But if you're here now and you're listening, that's great. Guys, I give you my latest live Q&A replay. All right, we are live. Welcome, everybody. Welcome back. Wednesday, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific. I am here for you to answer your real estate questions. And tonight is no different. Uh, last couple of weeks, we've, have, we've had some great 
interaction, some folks live that were asking really great questions and just some cool back and forth stuff. So hopefully we can get that going again today. If we don't, you're in luck. I have curated some questions. There are questions that I'm going to answer that you had, even if you're not live. I know some people submit questions and then they listen to the replay on my podcast, which is Just Start Real Estate. If you've never uh, checked it out, you should, because there is now a very long backlog of these Q&As where I'm just answering questions every Wednesday. And you can go there if you can't make this live. I get it. You can go and check it out. Or you can hop on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube, and you can see the replay because it's posted, right? You have to kind of search down to find the weeks, but they're posted there too. So you can go back and watch the video if you want to do that. Uh, I try to keep it <clears throat> mostly audio. I don't show stuff on the screen so much, a little bit. We put you know things up like just now we stuck um, juststartrealestate.com up there. So you can go check out the podcast. Um, but I try to keep it so that the people listening on on the podcast don't miss out because I was you know showing a bunch of stuff on my screen. So anyways, that's how we do it. Um, Guys, I mentioned this for the last few weeks. I've mentioned it quite a bit on this live. I'm going to do it again. I have something that I made specifically for you. I made it completely free for you, and I'd like you to check it out. If you go to MikeSimmons.com forward slash winning direct mail, I created a direct mail basically academy, like a, a, a course, like almost like a full on course of how to use direct mail, how to design it, how to pull your list, how to get it printed, how to get it shipped, and what to do when the calls and the, the leads start coming in, how to deal with that. I created that whole like A to Z plan for you that you can just plug and play into your business right now. It's totally free. All you have to do is go to mikesimmons.com forward slash winning direct mail, and you can get that for free and start using it and making more money in your business or just start making money in your business if you haven't started generating revenue. So go and grab that for free. I made that resource for you. I'm excited for you to grab it. Check it out. Once you're in the course, if you love it, by all means, send me a, put me a, put a comment right in the course and say, hey, this is great. I love it. Uh, if you if it's missing something or if you have questions, by all means, say, hey, there's uh, this thing. I would like to know more about it. Or can you elaborate on this? Or this part didn't make sense. We can we can have that discussion right inside the course. And uh, I'm happy to answer those for you. And I certainly prioritize people who comment inside of my courses because they've taken the time to download. Even though it's free, you still have to go click on something and put in your name and in your email and then you're inside. But go and check that out because... Uh, I, if I, I would, I wish I had this free resource. I wasted a lot of money years ago trying to figure this out. But good news for you, I wasted my money, not yours. I wasted my money figuring it out years ago so that you could just download for free and start making money. No waste of money at all for you. So go and grab that. Okay, let's get into the questions for today. Uh, the first one is, <clears throat> I am new and looking for multifamily properties. Do I find the deal first and then go get the lender with the property info and numbers? Or do I try to get pre-approval first? Um, I it, This sounds like someone who is going to go to a bank or a lending institution. I would go to the lending institution first because they're going to have some hoops and some you know things that you have to do and some paperwork and all this documents are going to want you to upload. So I would go and probably get pre-approved first if I was going to a lending institution. However, I will tell you, a lot of multifamily investors, they actually raise private money. And if you're going to raise private money, I would, I, I think, most, and I don't, 
I don't uh, full disclosure. I'm not a multifamily guy, but I've I've talked to enough people. I have enough friends that do multifamily. I've interviewed a ton of multifamily people. Uh, I would highly recommend that you start looking for the deal, get something under contract because typically multifamily and certainly depending on the size of the multifamily, but multifamily has a much longer due diligence period than a single family house. So typically with multifamily, you get it under contract, you start your due diligence, but while you're doing your due diligence or you know, once you kind of have a good sense that this is going to be a deal that you're going to do, you start raising money, reaching out to your network to try to raise money for this deal. And when you do that, it's very helpful, pretty much important and, and must that you must have the numbers. You must have the deal, right? You have to be able to tell them what they're investing in and what they can expect as a return. So if you're raising money, I say get the deal first. If you're going to use a bank or something like that, I would go talk to the bank. Let them know what you're going to do. Find out what their requirements are and get that going. So it kind of depends on which way you're going to go that with that. But eventually, you're going to raise private money. If you're like a serious multifamily investor for the long term, you're going to end up raising private money. And in that case, you want to find the deal. And hopefully, you'll start building your network and the group of people that you borrow from and, and, and expand that whole um, private lender uh, network so that you're just putting out an email to a list of a bunch of people that know and love you and they, they've they invested in past deals. And it's a lot easier to, to kind of get the churn going when you have that kind of relationship with folks. So uh, that's, that's kind of the two scenarios there that I would give you uh, advice on. Okay, question is, I bought my first rental property with a long time existing tenant who apparently was great to the last owner, but has been nothing but problems for me, including non-payment of rent. Suggestions, question mark. Well, first of all, I would suggest that they were not good tenants to the last person. I would, I would tell you that that was what you were told. I believe that. And maybe that's what the owner told you. Maybe even the tenant implied that they were great. Um, but they weren't probably. Um, they, it, it's it's unlikely that they were awesome for the first person and they're terrible for you. <clears throat> I think somebody was not probably 100% honest with you when you bought the house and they had a bad tenant and a bad situation and they wanted to unload it. And it doesn't sell a house fast when you tell the potential buyer that the tenant doesn't pay and that they're a total pain in the butt. Um, so you probably just were, were lied to, honestly. Um, so my suggestion would be uh, evict them, get them out, uh, give them a seven day notice, let them know that you know they're behind on rent and they have seven days to make it right or you're gonna start the proceedings. And if I were you, this is just from me, this is like lessons learned over many tenants over many years. If you, if you give them the seven day notice, right? That they have to pay within seven days or you're gonna, start the the proceedings and you have to give them that seven day notice it's i think it's the same or similar in every state you you can't just evict them right you have to give them a period of time to catch up and in michigan it's seven days so we give them that notice what i suggest to you is you tell them if they haven't come all the way current with their rent within seven days you're going to start the eviction proceedings and you will not stop even if they catch up on the eighth day, you will not stop the eviction. Now that sounds harsh, but here's what happens. Let's let's run the scenario out in a way that may seem more kind and friendly. You give them the seven day notice, they act shocked and surprised and a little offended. 
you know, which they probably will. And you say, hey, you got to pay within seven days or I'm going to start the eviction. And on day six or seven, they reach out to you. Uh, I, I didn't get some money I was supposed to get. My work didn't pay me, whatever. Insert crazy, random, probably lie, right? And they're going to say, can you just give me another week? And I will get it to you. And you'll say, no, I can't give you a week. And they'll say, can you give me four or five days? And you'll go, oh, I'm a good guy or girl. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you another four or five days. And then in four or five days, they call you and say, I, I needed a week, really. You didn't want to give me a week, but I need, an, I need a week. I need another three or four days. And they're going to do this until you, and then eventually they might even pay you, right? Two or three weeks late, they pay you. Next month or late again, you give them a seven-day notice. You say you're going to evict them if they don't have it on seven days. On day six or seven, they call you with some crazy random excuse. That's a total lie. And then the cycle goes on and on. It just keeps happening. They will they will forever be late. In my, in my uh, experience, if you have a tenant that out of the gate or soon out of the gate, they start being late a lot, they will be late forever every single month. That's just how they'll be, right? If you have a tenant for five years and they've never been late once and then they have a late a late one, that's different, right? That's an anomaly. That's like you have a track record of excellence and you had a bad month. That happens. That's, you know, that's when you're you try to be a good and gracious person. When somebody's habitually late, they are a habitual late payer. They will always be a habitual late payer. You must evict them. And so when my point of all this is, is you have someone who's always late, always late, always late, and they're a pain in the butt. You tell them what's going to happen, and then you do it. And it may seem, a friend of mine, actually, I just had this conversation. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not evicting someone, but I'm not renewing their lease. Okay, so essentially, I'm asking them to leave. But it's not, it's not hostile. It's just I'm asking them to leave. And, and they're not happy about it. Okay. And so I was, I was feeling bad, right? Because I'm trying, I, you know, I don't want to be a bad person. And, and so I, I reached out to a friend of mine who I respect a ton. And I not only respect him as a businessman, certainly I do, um, but I respect his ethics and his morals. Um, and I just think he's a good person. And I said, hey, we got this situation and they don't want to leave. And they're telling me they're going to be homeless. And, you know, how can I ask them to leave? And, you know, they thought they could live there for the rest of their life. And all these things that I didn't promise them. I just bought the house just literally a month ago. And apparently the previous owner promised them they could live there for the rest of their life. And then they sold it and obviously kind of broke their word. And so it's this crashing down on me. And his thing was you, you help them as much as you can, right? You try to be gracious. You try to be helpful. You try to be you know, caring and sympathetic. But as you're doing that, you have to give them the deadline and the consequence that goes with that deadline and be as flexible and as friendly and as helpful and as gracious and as loving as you can. But when the deadline approaches, you have to tell them ahead of time, listen, when the deadline approaches, this is what happens. You will get evicted. The sheriff will come out and they will remove you and your items from the house and they will lock the door and you will knock it back in. You will be forcibly removed from the home. However, we have this time before that happens that you can get out and I, I can try to help you find another place or I can help you with moving expenses, whatever you want to do, right? If Even if you want to do that. But the point is you be gracious and, and helpful and kind, but you give them a, a firm end date to that. When that ends, they can't keep stringing you along and doing that to you. And by doing so, you're not really 
doing them harm or being a bad person necessarily, if you handle it that way, you're actually doing something good for them because chances are if this person is habitually late with rent and they're not being a good tenant and all this, they have been enabled probably and they don't have anybody in their life holding them accountable. And that's why they have that's why they have these characteristics, these traits is why they treat people like this. They're not used to consequences or they're not used to fair but firm consequences. And so you are being fair but firm. This is what I expect from you. You've got seven days. You're already late. At the end of seven days, if you are not caught up, this is what will happen. There will be an eviction process. That will take 60 days or 30 days or whatever it is in your in your market. And at the end of that 60 days, if you are not out, I don't care if you've come current or not. If you're not out of the house, because I'm not stopping the eviction, if you don't pay in seven days, if you're not out, the sheriff will remove you forcibly if they have to. That's what's going to happen. And there's no stopping that unless you get caught up in seven days. And if you don't, that will happen. So proceed accordingly. And and you follow through. And it's actually really sort of, it, it's sort of a kind thing in a way, because you're, you're, you're teach. It's like kids, right? When you have to be fair, but firm, it seems mean, you know, maybe on some level you feel mean, but, but that's what they need. They need to understand that life has rules and consequences, and you have to play by them to some extent. If you want to coexist in society, if you don't, there are mountains in Wyoming and all over, right? There are mountains. Maybe there are mountains in Wyoming. I don't know my geography. There's mountains in the United States where no one lives. You can go there and live there and have no rules. You're just in the mountains with the bears, right? But if you're going to live in a subdivision with society and you're going to rent from someone who owns the house because you don't own it, you have to play by their rules. And if you can't, there's consequences. So anyway, it's kind of a long rant, but that's what I would do. Evict them. That's the long, long and short of it. Make them pay or evict them. That's all. You cannot get sucked into drama. You can't get sucked into excuses. Um, me and my company, I, I have a partner and I have people that work for me. We had a property that we were renting and there was a tenant who we we inherited from when buying the house. Same as this, right? They were consistently late on rent and they consistently had problems. And the minute they were late, I said to my team, they have to go. They're never going to be on time. And I was voted down. <laughs> I was told hold on. He has a legitimate excuse. Um, he's waiting for this check and it didn't come through. Like, And it was stuff I had heard a million times. I said, okay, mark my words. We're going to have to evict this person, but okay, I will defer. I will defer to the group and I will let you guys allow him to make excuses. And two months later, we're evicting him because he's not paying. He's, he always has excuses. So that's how it is with, with people who are late on rent. They're almost always going to be late on rent, period. End of story. Okay, that was a long rant. Sorry about that, Angela. Probably waiting forever for me to go. Okay, next one, Adam Whitney. Love you, Adam. What's up, brother? Going to see you in a couple of weeks. And I am super stoked. Adam will be with me, by the way, guys, at Flip Hacking Live. If you've not gotten your tickets to Flip Hacking Live, get them and go. Be there. It's on October. There you go. Go to bestrealestateevent.com. Just go there bestrealestateevent.com. It'll take you right to the site. Uh, use promo code just start to get a discount. $100 off that ticket. It's on October 13th through the 15th. It's in Orlando. I'm going to be there. Adam's going to be there. My friend Bill Allen's going to be there. Terry Berger, all my buddies, everybody I love in real estate is going to be there. It's going to be a blast. It's going to be a party. And we are going to 
learn how to blow our businesses up. Okay. Quick, quick promo for Flip Hacking Live. Adam, what's the number one thing that prevents people from taking action, even when the path is laid out before them? <sighs> it's a really good question. It, and there's sort of like a high level answer. And then there's like more of a detailed, there's detailed answers. The number one thing that stops them is fear and complacency. Those are the two, those are the two devils on your shoulder, right? It's too hard. It'll never work. Uh, what if you lose money? What if you fail and all your friends laugh at you and uh, you know, you're not smart enough. You failed in the past. Uh, you, you weren't a good student. You know, your parents told you, you were dumb. Like oh, that's the fear, right? On the other side is come on, man. Like let's watch like the new game of Thrones TV series, or let's watch breaking bad or like, God, let's just watch the game. There's a game on man. There's a game on. Let's watch the game. You don't want to do that. Oh, it's going to be so much work. Who knows? What if it doesn't work? Like, ugh, right. Complacency. Like the life is life is not life has to be or your situation, not necessarily life, something in your life, your situation, your job, whatever has to be more painful than the pain of getting off your butt and going and doing it. And so fear and complacency are the two devils on the shoulder that I see that that stop people and complacency. You can sort of you can sort of maybe change that with like procrastination. It, it's like you procrastinate because you're complacent, in my opinion. So it's not really procrastination. It's just, it's complacency. If you weren't complacent, you wouldn't procrastinate. And so, you know, it's, it's just the, the pain has to be worse than the pain of potential failure. So that's what happened to me. So I, I think that's it, man. It's fear and complacency and people, you know, they don't know. It's not always fear of losing money, by the way, when I didn't, I, I spent five years in that, right? not taking action. I took five years for me to, to actually take action. You want to talk about ridiculous? That was ridiculous. So I get it. I get why people do it, but I recognize it was ridiculous, but I wasn't afraid of losing money, money, losing money. What I, I, I have no fear of losing money. I'm fearless when it comes to that, right? Ice in my veins. What I was afraid of was looking stupid and failing in public, failing in front of my friends, failing in front of my family. Um, you know, I, I, I have a lot of friends and family that love to bust chops. They live for people falling on their face so they can give them crap about it the rest of their life. And I worked in an industry at the time, my nine to five job, automotive industry. There's some cruel puppies there. Like they really want to watch you fail. It's hilarious. Right. And so I just didn't take action because I didn't want to deal with that. Right. I didn't want to have that, that potential of failing and losing face and, and all that. So Fear and complacency, man. That's it. People like you and I, now, me at least, I don't know about you, Adam. You probably were always fearless, but it took me a minute to to realize how ridiculous it was. And now I'm almost like I'm a bit of an adrenaline junkie when it comes to business and taking risks in business. I'm I am an adrenaline junkie. And I still wouldn't jump off a cliff and dive into the water. Like I'm I'm not doing that. I'm not that kind of fearless. But when it comes to like business, pretty, pretty fearless. I don't, I don't really, I take action and then I try to calculate my odds of success after I take action. Good question though, Adam. Thanks. All right, let's move on. Uh, <clears throat> next question. I think I made a bad investment in a duplex last year. 
uh, have had higher than expected operating expenses and had to lower rent to match the surrounding area. Is it time to sell or should I ride this out or should I ride these initial pain points or should I ride out these initial pain points? Um, bought a duplex last year. So it sounds to me, um, you're not on the call right now, right? It's not a live question. So I get a, I have to make some assumptions. It sounds to me like you did bad due diligence potentially, right? Your, your operating expenses were high and you didn't understand the rent in the area because you shouldn't have to lower the rent to match the area. You should have known what the area rent was obviously before you ever bought it. And, and so if, if you knew what the rent was in the area, that should have been used for your calculations. And it sounds like you have two things going on, right? Like your rent needed to be lower. You thought it was going to be higher, but it's lower and your operating expenses are too high. So these, you know, it's making it worse, obviously. Like if your rents were where you thought they were, the operating expenses may not be as big a problem potentially. Um, it sounds like you didn't calculate your operating expenses. Well, unless something bad happened, right? A tree fell on the roof or you know, there was a sewage problem that you, you didn't know about or just kind of happened while you had the house. Who knows? But assuming the operating expenses are not uh, some catastrophe or some crazy anomaly that no one could have predicted, it sounds like you you needed to, the due diligence par- portion of this whole uh, this whole investment wasn't wasn't done well. And so um, probably it's time to sell person. I think if, if your rents aren't what they're supposed to be and the operating, if the g- ongoing operating expenses are higher than they need to be, it sounds like you have kind of a dud there. And I don't know, you could hang on to it. I'd have to know what, how bad the rents are compared to what you thought. Like if you thought the rents were going to be $2,000 and they're really $1,000, like that's horrible. Like, I don't even know if you can't, first of all, you might not be able to sell it because if you bought it last year when prices were higher, now prices are dropping. You may not be able to sell it. You may have to hold on to it and ride this out. Okay. So if you can't sell it because you would have to bring money to the table, then my answer is ride it out. And in fact, I don't know, maybe see if you can scrape some money together to improve the place on the inside a little bit so that you can raise the rents. Um, do something to make it more uh, desirable. Um, yeah. So otherwise, you're you can sell it and and I might. I mean, I there's been there were properties that I had as rentals that I wish I would have sold a little sooner because they were sort of just clunkers and you know, for whatever reason they were just clunkers, bad luck. Some of them it just seemed like they were cursed. So I, I should, probably should have sold them, but I hold I held on to them. Now, luckily I bought most of my rentals back in like 2015-2016. And so they were clunkers, but I sold them in 2020 or 2021 and how and house prices soared. And so I made money on all of them. So it was fine, right? I got rid of them at kind of the top of the market. Great. We're still we're still a lot higher than we were a few years ago or maybe three or four years ago, right? The market's still higher. I would try to sell it as is right now, like get that money and put it into a better investment. I don't love throwing money after, you know, good money after bad in a bad investment. Go, go to get that money out and try to find a better investment for yourself. In fact, prices are dropping. The, the market's turning like, Maybe sell it, hold on to that money for six months and then go out and find something at a lower price point or do it now. But yeah, get it out. That's my, I'm talking myself into telling you to sell it. Just sell it if you can. Don't, don't lose money, but sell it. And if these, if these expenses were like one-time expenses, like you had to replace the roof or, you know, there's something else that doesn't happen all the time, then maybe it's not so bad. But if the ongoing expenses are too high and your rent 
was way lower than you thought it was going to be, might be time to get out. So sell it and move on. Uh, okay. Nick has a question. Let's see. Nick. Hey, Nick. How's it going, by the way? Uh, let's see. As the market shifts, are you monitoring any stats in your market? Um, not really. So what what we do in our market, I don't I don't monitor stats. In fact, what I do that I, I feel like is a little bit more appropriate for my market is it is probably more appropriate in all markets. If you have a big enough reach, okay, like for us, we have a buyer's list of several thousand people on our buyer's list. And we have regular communication with our with our buyers. Um, we use that as a kind of a barometer of where the market is. We we get a lot of real-time feedback from buyers. We can see through their actions a lot of times what's happening in our market. Um, on top of that, I, I talk to my um, my dispositions manager. And his name's Connor, and I just say, listen, you know what? What we had this conversation regularly, but what's happening? What are you seeing? Is it taking longer for us to move properties than it did six months ago, or that it did three months ago, or a year ago? Like, it's it's a little bit anecdotal. I get it. It's not it's not scientific, but I want to know what's actually happening. I don't want to I don't want to look on a chart that's generated by some state or national thing, right? That says the market's declining rapidly. But then the reality is in my business, we're selling things for just as much as we ever have, just as fast as we ever have. Then I don't wanna trust a chart over reality. I, I want reality. I wanna know what's actually happening. And in, in the other side of it's true too. I don't want some chart to tell me that the market is, is like uh, appreciating. And so, I just use that that data to start making higher offers because the market's appreciating. And then, you know, I find out in reality, it's not. We're not getting more for these houses. We're getting exactly what we always got or less, right? And so it's a little bit, there's a uh, there's an office episode where Michael Scott and Dwight are in a car and they're driving and Michael Scott is following the GPS and the GPS tells him to turn into a lake and Dwight's yelling, no, the lake's right. Like, no, you can't don't. And Michael just keeps yelling that the GPS knows what it's talking about. And they drive into the lake and their car goes in the lake. Right. You, that's sort of how I look at sometimes national data, even state data. Right. They're, that's fine. They're telling us what what is happening on a national level or on a regional or local level. But I want to know what are we seeing out there? Like, what are we actually seeing? What are our buyers telling us? Are our buyers telling us they have to be a little bit more conservative? Are they making lower offers? Is it is time on market longer in reality for us? Is it taking it longer us longer to sell our properties than it used to? Then we adjust based off of what's happening, what's actually happening, not what I'm told is happening. If that makes sense, right? And I'm not saying data is bad. Don't trust, you know, charts and graphs and all. That's fine. When we're talking about a national level, you you kind of have to listen to the data because you're not everywhere, right? And so, if the data says, if national, you know, data, whatever Zillow or whoever's curating this stuff says prices are going down overall in the United States, I I believe it. I tend to believe it because I don't have any way of I don't have any, um, I can't take the temperature of the whole, com whole country. I'm not in the whole country actively investing. But in my area, in my section of Michigan, 
I know better what's happening in the market than some data that's being published, you know, a month trailing information, right? Like they, by the time they published the data, you know, the data that they, that they pulled was a month old or, or more. So I just, I trust what we're seeing and what we're feeling in the market in my local market. And so that's how I do it. Okay. Uh, Nick, hey, there you go. You're welcome, man. You're welcome. I'm sort of, I'll admit to you, I'm not like a, I'm not like a data, necessarily a data geek. So I don't really like pour over data like that. I don't enjoy doing it. And I honestly, I'd rather just see what I'm, what I'm seeing. Okay. Corey, what's up? Corey, I'm probably going to see you too in a couple of weeks. You might even be speaking. I'm not, are you speaking? I think you're speaking at Flip Hacking Live. All right. Here's a question from Corey. I'm on the cusp of making an offer on an acquisition specialist making an offer to an acquisition specialist. But all of a sudden, I'm worried about I'll make a bad hire. I am doing a weekly draw for two months to give the candidate runway to bring in some deals and commissions. I'm overthinking it. Yes, you are overthinking it, Corey. And if if I may, I'm going to give you some public tough love. You overthink stuff sometimes. Okay, so you are overthinking it. You might make a bad hire. Okay, I'm looking at you now. Boom. You might make a bad hire. I've made plenty of bad hires in my acquisitions and all over the place. The reality is you will make bad hires. So like make if you're going to make a mistake in a hire, you all you can do is use the data you have available, take the best educated guess, right? I mean, it's a little bit of a guess. It's it's a little bit of a science, a little bit of an art, a little bit of luck. Um, but I would make sure that you have their personality profile, whether it's a disc or Colby or culture index, get that information, do your due diligence on the person and, and go for it because, but just be willing to let them go after, you know, I, usually for acquisitions, I say 90 days, most positions, I would be more inclined to say 30 to 60 acquisitions is a little bit of a, of a, you know, you have to fill a pipe and, it takes time. There's follow-up. So 90 days though, no more than 90 days. You, you've got to make that decision. And, and probably I would be having at least monthly meetings, a 30-day review, a 60-day review, and then a 90-day review. And in that 60-day review, there's a really good chance both of you know how it's going, if it's going to go well, if it's going to end up working or not. And and after and the 60-day review, you know, you just have to like put the numbers in front of the person and this is what what's happened this is what we need to have happen or at the end of the month you know we may have to go in a different direction and so you know at the end of 90 days you don't have to fire somebody typically they know what's ha- they know they're they're going to come in and go yeah I get it we it didn't work so but don't don't overthink it man hire them if you if you've done all the work if you've done all the research you've done your due diligence you've looked at their personality assessment you've had the interviews they have the experience they they're saying everything you need to hear do it and and you know watch it closely for 90 days or 60 days whatever's appropriate but yeah i i think you should go for it honestly you ha- i mean you have to right what are you going to never hire somebody because you it's always I, i've hired people that i thought were going to be like slam dunk rock stars slam dunk and they were horrible for different reasons i I will say this though Corey. one of the um let's see here uh yeah you're speaking at fhl okay one of the things that i ignored this is probably the best hiring advice i ever got and i've i've listened to a lot of people give presentations on hiring i have friends who give presentations on hiring 
I've heard a lot of hiring advice and there's a lot of strategies and techniques and a lot of ways that you can figure out who the right person is. But the best hiring advice I ever heard ever was somebody once told me to, you should hire people who have the same values as the company and they have to have some skill, obviously, but I'll take a B skill level with a an exact match of company culture and values, and I'll bring that B up. I, I will elevate them with the team. Rather than hiring an A-plus rock star who has values that are questionable and maybe don't totally align with the group and with your company. So values matter is the point. I always will pick a value match over a rock star with a bad value match. Just It's just the way it is. I, I'm telling you that's I'll save you so much money in um, time if you follow that advice. I have a disc and a CI on them. I need to pull the trigger. Yes, pull the trigger. I don't want to freak you out, but when it comes to CI, which for everyone listening, if you don't know, that's culture index. It's, a, it's an assessment basically that, that I use and a lot of people I know use. For their CI, just <laughs> I'm going to say this, but I'm, I'm I don't want to push you away from hiring whoever you think is really great. And you've probably heard me say this already, Corey. But <clears throat> you want somebody who has put it this way: you don't want a low A, and you don't want a low B. Those need to be on the higher end. Um, I like personally that the A is higher than the B. Um, and I want the C to be kind of low, okay? The D I'm going to leave out because it's probably going to be low. If it's high, that's that's a bonus. But low C, which means for those of you listening who don't know Culture Index, it, it's you're not going to follow, so I'm going to make this quick probably, but you'll follow, Corey. The C, I want it to be low. I want them to be impatient. I want them to be very, very, have a, have a sense of urgency, right? So low C. I want the B and the A to be high. I prefer the A be higher than the B. If the B is higher than the A, what happens sometimes is B B measures how much of a people person they are, right? How how social and how much they like people. The A is like the drive, the need to win, the competitive fire, right? <clears throat> if the B is higher than the A, sometimes what you end up with is a person who would rather be liked than get the house at the right price for you. Okay. So you may want to make an offer of 150 and that's what the offer you need to make because that's the right price for you guys. But after talking to them and they kind of had this rapport and your, and your acquisitions person really likes this person, maybe feels a little bad for them, but also likes them. They might offer 160 because it's just a, it's easier. It's a little bit less painful and, and they don't want the person mad at them. Right. And so you end up with someone who wants to be liked and they're not willing to make the the offer that makes sense. So just be careful, okay? Just be careful. Low C, high A, high-ish B. Can't be a low B because then they just don't even like people, right? Um, and they won't, they won't come off genuine and friendly and all that stuff. So anyways, I say go for it. If it's the wrong person, then rehire and get somebody else in there and repeat that process until you find the right person. Everyone does. It's just the way it is, right? Acquisitions has a high opportunity cost. And so I, I get it. I get the hesitation. But at some point, you have to just go for it and just watch it closely. Don't don't hire fast and, and fire slow. Like go the other way around, right? 
like you've already waited you've you've got the person just now get them in there and if they're not the right person move on to the next one give them as much rope and as much time and as much training and pour into them for 60 to 90 days but if it just isn't happening it's not happening and move on but i think that's the best best way to go okay anything else angela live let's see okay Cool. We're going to go then, guys. That is uh, the, my time for today. Thanks for being here. Uh, remember, we are here every single Wednesday, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. You can check this out, replay on my podcast, Just Start Real Estate, and go and get my direct mail course. It's free, guys. I spent a million dollars figuring all that stuff out. Literally, that's not hyperbole. I spent a million dollars figuring out direct mail. I've made millions of dollars with direct mail. And I'm giving you all that knowledge for absolute free. Just go to MikeSimmons.com forward slash winning direct mail. Grab it, use it, make money, and crush it. All right, guys, we will see you next time. All right, I hope you enjoyed that. Remember, I do these Q&As live on Facebook on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. I hope you enjoyed this. Tune in next week for another installment of live Q&As answering your questions. Okay, until next time.